0: changing around a lot of equipment and stuff. We've got a fantastic group of people working on things, but but we're still working some of the bugs. So I'm going to see if this, does this work? All right, and let's try it this way. And did you do that, Aaron, or did I do that? Okay, I, that's, this is not working then. Can you back it up to the title slide? I'm going to need you to do that. This is just jumping like crazy, so I'm going to, I'm going to have to have, so sorry bud. But you want to give Aaron a hand for uh, being... Uh, um, the poor schmuck in the booth this morning who has to follow, has to actually pay attention to me and and and, and do that. He's fantastic. He's great. All right. So um, uh, just wanted to stop for just a moment. When I do this, that means change the slide for me. There we go. And, and I want you to picture in your minds an inventor. I want you to stop and think. Uh, he's working in a lab on some kind of bizarre looking apparatus. He's got on safety goggles. He's got on rubber gloves. He's wielding in one hand a a solder and he holding in the other hand a magnifying glass and uh, working feverishly on this odd-looking apparatus. You sidle up beside him, you watch him for a little while as he takes incredible pains to make sure every single part fits perfectly into the other single part it goes into. And after a while, you you point at his project, the one he's been working on, and you ask him, how long have you been working on this? To which he responds absentmindedly, weeks, months, maybe years. I, I can't, can't really remember anymore. You watch him continue working feverishly, and eventually you ask him again, pointing at the device. You say, um, what's it for? And he replies, nothing. And then he keeps on working. You say, no, 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 I, I don't think you understand. I mean, I mean, what... What does it do? To which he says, it doesn't do anything. That's the beauty of it. Every other machine in the world does something. This one, mine, doesn't do anything. And then he gets right back to work. So you tap him on the shoulder again and ask, so why are you building it then? And he replies, I have no idea. But if you don't mind, I really need to get back to work. Now, if that sounds silly to you, the reason is because it is. The thought of someone spending their time making something that does nothing is honestly, when you think about it, kind of silly. Yet far too often, I fear, we actually treat the Bible like that. As if God inspired it to be written to no real purpose at all. With no particular idea in mind what was supposed to be done with it. Thankfully, that's not the case. God gave us the Bible very much on purpose, to inform us and instruct us, and most importantly, to guide us and direct us in our lives. And with that in mind, then, I want us to return this morning to what I began talking to you about last week as we continue our consideration of the fear of the Lord. Now, just to get us focused and moving, would you stand with me, please, in honor of the Word of God. And uh, we're going to read together once again Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, this is what the Bible says. Together we read, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Can we do that once again? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Now, last week's message was called The Fear of the Lord Defined, and this morning's message I'm calling The Fear of the Lord Applied, because I want to take some time this morning just to dig in a little bit into what it looks like when we actually begin to apply this concept, what it looks like when someone actually begins to live day by day in the fear of the Lord. Now, it took quite a bit of time last week to kind of explain what the Bible means by the phrase, the fear of the Lord. And I concluded that in its most basic, most straightforward, most practical sense, to fear the Lord means to uh, uh, or to walk in the fear of the Lord means to live your life with regard to Him. It means to live your life, to choose your words, and to make your decisions based on His wants, and His will, and His purposes, and His word. And to do all of that in the full assurance that one day you're going to answer to Him for every thought, every word, and every action. I tried to stress last week that the fear of the Lord has way less to do with what you feel and way more to do with how you live. Which means that God gave you the Bible first and foremost to change the way you live, to move you from living for yourself according to what you want and according to what you think is right, to living with and for God according to what He says is right. Unlike the eccentric inventor in the story I started with this morning, God knows exactly why He gave us the Bible, and He gave us the Bible to bring us to Himself and the life He created us to live, a life defined by and grounded in the healthy biblical fear of the Lord. And here's the point I want to get to this morning. I really want to focus on, and so here it is. Are you ready? The way you think the things you do, and ultimately the life you live is always fundamentally determined by your view of God. If you're a Christian, the life you live is ultimately determined by your view of God. If you're an atheist, the life you live is ultimately determined by your view of God. If you're a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim or whatever, the life you live is ultimately determined by your view of God. If you do not recognize that God is real, if you don't believe He exists, then you're going to live like you're free to do whatever you want. Because frankly, in your mind, there's no one there. There's no one there to tell you right from wrong. There's no one there to tell you how things should work. And there's no one there to answer to at the end of it all. If you don't recognize that God is love, if you view Him as harsh and judgmental, hard to please, maybe a God who sort of gets off on punishing sin, then you're likely to live harsh and judgmental yourself. You'll tend to be legalistic and you'll live in a lot of fear, worried all the time if you're messing up and somehow incurring the wrath of God. If you do not recognize God is holy, if you view Him as more or less indulgent, as a God who frankly doesn't really care all that much about sin, then you'll likely excuse everything you do and define everything you want as the blessing of God and the will of God. Because after all, in your opinion, He basically just wants you to be happy. If you really want to grow in the Lord, and I hope you want to grow in the Lord, if you really want to grow in the Lord to please Him and honor Him with your life, then you need to learn to scrutinize your own thinking and your own behavior. Because thinking and behavior always follows belief. And belief always, always makes its way back towards your view and posture toward God. Listen, as far as I can figure, there is nothing in the world wrong with abortion unless the God of the Bible is real. Because according to the Bible, people are made in His image, and He takes it seriously if we mistreat them. As far as I can figure, there is nothing wrong with homosexual conduct unless the God of the Bible is real. Because according to the Bible, he made the sexes and he made sex to accompany his own purposes. And he declared homosexuality to be a violation of his design and plan. As far as I can tell, There is simply no good reason whatsoever. You should have to forgive someone who has hurt you over and over again. Unless the God of the Bible is real. Because according to the Bible, God has commanded you to forgive and connected somehow your forgiveness to your forgiveness of others. As far as I can tell, there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking to the internet to tell it like you think it is about anybody you feel like has done you wrong or everybody you feel like is off in some way. Unless the God of the Bible is real. Because according to the Bible, it's a sin to defame or speak evil of anyone and especially of another follower of Christ. It is astonishing to me What people can justify in their own lives, including, sadly, Christian people. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people over the years where I've sat and listened as they insisted they were right, insisted they were justified, insisted they did nothing wrong in leaving their spouse, sleeping with their girlfriend, bad-mouthing their boss, fudging on their taxes, working so much they neglected their family, or playing so much they neglected their church. And it is this incredible capacity for self-justification that means, that leads me to the conclusion that when discussing moral issues with others, When talking about moral issues with others, you should never discuss them on the grounds of morality. Let me just say that again. When discussing moral issues with others, you should never discuss them on the grounds of morality. Because the truth is, most people today, including sadly most Christians, have developed their own personal sense of morality which they are more than ready to defend, whether or not is actually moral. So instead of discussing such things or arguing about such things, considering such things on the grounds of morality, you need to learn to consider issues on the grounds of God and the Word of God. Does the God of the Bible exist? And if so... What does he say about the matter in question? Because at the end of the day those are really the only two questions that matter. If he doesn't exist you're free. Have at it. Do whatever you want to do. If he does exist you're bound to honor him or answer for it. So My disagreement, let me push this just a little bit more. Disagreements I may have on occasion, maybe with non-Christians over certain social issues, are never fundamentally disagreements about the morality of abortion or the validity of homosexual marriage. At the end of the day, any disagreement that I might have with someone over social issues like that is really a dispute about the existence and the identity and the character of God. If he's not there, it doesn't matter. But if he is there, it matters very much. By the way, taking this particular approach in discussing social issues and the like with (coughs) other people allows you the possibility to turn potentially ugly political conversations into potentially meaningful witnessing opportunities. Moving the question away from who's right and who's wrong about retributive justice or who's right or who's wrong about transgender rights to the questions, who is God and what does he say? And that makes for a different discussion altogether. And frankly, a discussion that's eternally worth having. And having said all of that, I need to press into the real point here, which is, which is that it's important to take this approach, not just with other people, but even more importantly, to take this approach with yourself as well. Because in my experience, many non-Christians have no trouble whatsoever justifying things like why it's okay to have an abortion. And many Christians have no trouble whatsoever justifying things like why it's okay to stop going to church, why it's okay to sit around complaining about their lives why it's okay to write nasty tweets about Megan Rapinoe Rapinoe uh, and send them out to the universe. The human capacity for self-justification appears to be infinitely infinite. But self-justification is the polar opposite. It is the mortal enemy and the proof of the absence of the fear of the Lord. Without which, by the way, according to the Bible, you don't actually know anything, since the fear of the Lord, according to the Bible, is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, what you think you know in defending your wrong attitudes and your wrong behavior is only proof of everything you don't know, which is why it's so crucial to move your thinking away with yourself from Do I believe this is right? Do I believe this is okay? To who is God? What does he say? And what does he want? Let me say this very clearly. Listen. The degree to which you are willing to justify wrong, to excuse wrong, to defend something God condemns, the degree to which you are willing to do that, is the degree to which you do not fear the Lord. Proverbs 8.13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. To fear the Lord is to love God, and it is to hate what God hates. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech, which means to justify your pride in any way, is not to fear the Lord because God hates pride. To excuse any wrongdoing on your part is not to fear the Lord because God hates evil behavior. And to defend your participation in gossip or slander or defamation, in lying or profanity or coarse joking, whether you say it out loud or post it on Facebook, is not to fear the Lord, because God hates corrupt speech. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. This is what the Bible teaches. So my first question this morning is, do you fear the Lord? Because to be honest... It appears many Christians do not. And in many of those cases, I believe it's because they have false notions about God. I don't think they're trying. I think they have wrong ideas about God. We had People tell them so long that, that you know, God just loves them. He doesn't care about your stuff. They stop reading the Bible. In, in many cases, it's about false notions about God. Notions in which they imagine God's actually okay with their sin. Or notions in which they imagine their sin isn't really sin because they've got a really good explanation for it. But the greatest enemy of righteousness has always been self righteousness. And the power behind self righteousness has always been self justification. And the answer for self justification has always been the fear of. Of the Lord. The recognition that God is holy. You're, you're slide behind for uh, um, The recognition that God is holy, that his ways are not our ways, and that one day we will stand before Him and be judged according to His ways. It was not by accident that in laying out the Ten Commandments, God made the first two, the first two. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself an idol. Now, God's always been clear that we're not supposed to worship false gods. And yet I would contend that over and over, day after day, an awful lot of Christians do exactly that. By worshiping false images of God, false concepts of God, false notions of God that they've cooked up in their own hearts and minds. Sometimes, justify their sin. Too many Christians today worship a God made in their own image. Where there is no true fear of the Lord, Christians with anger issues will tend to worship a God who is impatient, perhaps as impatient as they are, and who doesn't really blame them all that much for getting upset with the knuckleheads around them. Where there is no true fear of God, Christians with self-pity issues will tend to worship a God they imagine feels sorry for them. Forget all those scriptures about overcoming. Their God is fine with moping or pouting or playing the victim. The enemy of true righteousness is self-righteousness. The power behind self-righteousness is self-justification. And the answer for self-justification is the fear of the Lord. Before I close, I want to point out one more thing from this incredibly important verse of Scripture. Namely, that because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, that means the fear of the Lord is absolutely necessary to know anything correctly. It is absolutely necessary to thinking and understanding and believing correctly. You can have a Ph.D. and be desperately, desperately, desperately wrong about the great matters of eternity. In other words, the reality that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge means there's an inescapable connection between the fear of the Lord and truth between the fear of the Lord and learning. And so as a result, the genuine biblical fear of the Lord ought to move you to want to learn, ought to move you to want to know more, ought to compel you in a pursuit of the truth, including the truth about yourself. When you walk in the fear of the Lord, you want people to instruct you. You will pursue input and correction. Because you want to change and be changed. This is hard for so many of us. But it is true of the fear of the Lord. When you walk in the fear of the Lord, you will pursue input and correction. But when you don't walk in the fear of the Lord, you will avoid those things. When you don't walk in the fear of the Lord, you're not thinking about answering at some point to him. You don't want to be corrected. You don't seek out biblical counsel. And if biblical counsel comes to you, you'll often reject it and frequently take it as an offense. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fools despise wisdom and correction. Fools despise wisdom... And instruction. The absence of the fear of the Lord means you're pursuing life fundamentally on your own terms. You're doing things your own way, living by your own standards, content to satisfy your own morality. That means a naturally anxious person who's not walking in the fear of the Lord will feel completely free to live in worry. Since they're not living by God's standards, And God says worry is a sin. A greedy person who's not walking in the fear of the Lord will feel absolutely free to gratify their appetites. Spending money on themselves they probably ought not spend because he's living by his own desires, living by his own morality. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and discipline, wisdom and instruction, wisdom and correction. The absence of the fear of the Lord drives you to avoid the truth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. They simply do not want to hear it. And that means at some point, very pointedly, to walk outside the fear of the Lord is to live like a fool. So My cl- closing question this morning is this. Who can tell you that you're wrong? Now, the truth is, anybody can tell you you're wrong. That's not what I mean. What I really mean is, how many people are there who can tell you you're wrong and you honestly, genuinely, sincerely listen. Because I want to suggest that the number of people from whom you are willing to receive correction is a direct indication of your maturity and your fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom, and it's to hate evil god grant us a healthy biblical fear of the lord and make us the people he's created us to be let's pray father as always i thank you for the power and the clarity of your word your word that 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 penetrates and shows us reality that shows us truth that shows us who you are and what you're like and what you desire who we are and what we're like and what you've called us and created us to be. Shows us your great plan for the world, your great plan for your people and how we might walk in it by grace through faith in Jesus. Father, grant us, we pray, a biblical, holy fear of the Lord. A healthy, honest fear of the Lord that we would respect you and honor you for who you are, acknowledging you are the maker and the great judge we will one day stand before. Believing in all of that, you love us with an everlasting love, and that you have become our Father by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us a healthy fear of the Lord that we might live the lives you've called us to live, better and better, more fully and more faithfully, day by day, as we grow up in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.